Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and a director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Julie Verner. Julie is a clinical psychologist and a children's book author who specializes in parenting and family life, including divorce and family transitions. As a married mother of four, her professional work is marked by understanding and compassion for the monumental and yet highly rewarding task of raising and loving the little people in our lives. In addition to her writings and clinical work, she resources families through Instagram at Divorce Doodles. Welcome, Julie Werner, to Divorce Dialects. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. You know, we had you come on the show to talk about positive parenting. So maybe you could tell the listeners, what is positive parenting and how does it work? Sure, sure. So I think there's a lot of different terms and concepts in the research literature about parenting, and they all kind of synthesize together nicely. So listeners may have heard of authoritative parenting, positive parenting, they may have heard of parenting that's firm and kind or balances support and control. I think the idea of positive parenting is that we're looking at a way of approaching parenting that is very much focused on the relationship. It's a teaching, guiding, verbal give and take. But even though it's relational, it's not permissive. And so it's it still involves structure and guidance and consequences. So it's a parenting that approaches those two kind of really important variables of parenting, which is that emotional warmth and support, and then the behavioral expectations and uh, guidance. So can you give an example about how that works just to kind of illustrate the point? I mean, I think I, I, think I get it, but I'm, I'm not totally sure. sure. Like, Sure. So sometimes the best way to to show this is visually, but because we're not in a visual format, that makes it tricky. But the the support and the control are two kind of dynamics in parenting, and you can have low support, and you can have high support, and then you have control, you can have low control, and you can have high control. And so this kind of positive parenting falls in the authoritative kind of quadrant of these variables where it's a lot of support, and high expectations for kids. And so sometimes I think the ways that we understand it better is is to look at what it isn't. And so, and the reason why I think it can be helpful too is because when we look at parenting advice, anybody who's, you know, tried to read books, and there's a lot out there and it's really hard to navigate. And some of the parenting advice can fall on what would be probably more permissive. And so the idea is that it's very warm and supportive and relational, but there isn't a lot of consequences or accountability for actions. And and so 
positive parenting isn't that. It has it's a boundary style of parenting. On the other hand, we also may be familiar with what would be a more kind of autocratic parenting, my way or the highway. And so it's it's very firm and the expectation is that your kids would comply, but it lacks the sense of understanding, the mutual respect, the emotional warmth. I understand this is difficult for you. And let's talk about how we can help you kind of get where you need to be. And so I think with positive parenting, what you have is that really nice middle space where it's not autocratic. It's not my way or the highway, but it also isn't so soft or permissive that that kids are not challenged to really be able to learn responsibility and discipline and, you know, to be held accountable for their actions. So it sounds like it's a good middle place because, you know, a lot of times our clients come in and they have real, and this is divorcing families, but I think this is true Mm -hmm. even before they reach divorce, where one parent is more authoritative and one parent is more more permissive and Mm -hmm. they're mad at each other, you know, for Mm -hmm. each person is worried that the other person's parenting style is ineffective. So why does the Mm -hmm. parenting, the positive parenting work? Well, I think it's really interesting. There is, a researcher, his name's Lawrence Steinberg, and, and I felt like he summarized it pretty well. He highlighted three reasons why he thinks this style of parenting works. And, and the first thing that he said is that parental nurturance and involvement, it's really, that's the relationship superglue. That when you are responsive, when you're emotionally in tune, when you're having conversations with your kids, what you're doing is you're cultivating relationship and that your kids feel seen, they feel understood. And so then what happens is as you're building that kind of warm relationship with your kids, they care what you think. And so that's really one of the risks of going with a more autocratic approach to parenting is if your kids think you don't get me, you don't understand me, you've set these arbitrary limits, you're expecting me to follow them, but you don't understand me. And so there's there's can be a, a relational kind of damage that happens in that kind of parenting. And so then what happens is that those kinds of kids don't necessarily care what their parents think. And so from a socialization standpoint, from the perspective of having an adult who you trust and you um, want to hear what they think about things, that, that doesn't happen. So that, that the nurturance and involvement is really important because that's a relationship builder. The other thing is is the, the kind of structure side of things. When you combine that with support, it's really important because what that does is it teaches kids self-regulatory skills. So they learn responsibility and competence. If you don't have that kind of behavioral accountability, then you know, I think we've all seen it. The kids who can kind of come unglued, they, you know, get really upset, they tantrum, and that's like the ways that they respond to things that they're not happy with. And so they're really not being challenged to learn how to kind of regulate their behavior, regulate their emotions, and things that are really critical for them in terms of just adjusting out into the the real world. And then the, the last thing that Steinberg offers is that the idea of verbal give and take, that when you're having dialogue, because it's a a teaching and guiding style of parenting, and when you're having dialogue, what this does is it facilitates cognitive and social competency that kids are learning. So if you're approaching things from a, you need to do this because I said so, 
kids are not necessarily becoming intrinsically motivated, that it's not helping them to understand your expectations. It's not facilitating the adoption of any values. What it does is it's really just teaching fear and compliance. And so this verbal give and take, this explanation, let's talk about why this is important, that that becomes a critical piece in terms of just developing the cognitive and social competency that kids need to develop well. You know, as you're talking, Julie Werner, I'm thinking I have five kids. And one of the things that I always thought about raising them is that I want to have a long-term relationship with them. You know, I don't want them to grow up, leave home, and that's it. Because over, God willing, over time, Mm -hmm. I'll have a relationship with them that's way longer after they leave home than when they're living at home. Mm -hmm. And this seems like a really great way to develop that relationship and to allow it to evolve from, you know, 3 to 13 to 23. Am I I right about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what you're cultivating is you're cultivating a mutual respectful relationship. And you cannot kind of overstate how important that is. If you think about these people are, they're going to grow up, they're going to become their own people. And we have the opportunity to live a very satisfying lifelong relationship with these people and being able to have good communication skills for them to feel seen, respected, understood, Those kinds of things really are the the building blocks of a long-term fulfilling relationship with our children. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30, and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Julie Werner about positive parenting. And so what is it? that happens when people get divorced. You talk about that as an activating event. So talk about that Mm -hmm. in the context of positive parenting. Sure. I really am pretty attached to the idea of an activating event because I think it's really meaningful and I think it is a place of hope. And the reality is that when people are on the the kind of beginning of divorce and imagining what this is going to mean for their life, there's so much fear so much apprehension. What is this going to mean for me? What is this going to mean for my kids? Are my kids going to be destroyed? I mean, everybody's heard the stories of people staying together for the kids. The idea that if we were to separate, it would be catastrophic for our kids and they won't be okay. And so I think it's so important to uh, be really clear that for, although divorce, when handled poorly, can be very damaging for kids, The reality is that when divorce functions as an activating event, it actually can be the impetus for really positive change in a family. So any life crisis that we experience has the opportunity to invite reflection and reevaluation in our lives. And so you'll hear like the stereotypical like Johnny-come-lately father who suddenly wants to be involved in the parenting following divorce and much to the chagrin of the primary parent you know, oftentimes stereotypically mother who can use this father kind of with suspicion. But but the reality is what we know is that moms and dads, when they experience the, the fear and the, and the crisis and the disruption of divorce, really can begin to reevaluate their decisions, recognizing potential loss of things that are important to them, 
and there can be a real reordering of priorities around important roles. And so what I've seen so many times is parents on the front end who are afraid and concerned and worried that there's such an openness. And in a clinical context, we're very aware in in therapy and when we have new clients come in that pain is, is a motivator, that if they weren't in a lot of pain, they probably wouldn't be there. This is the same situation. And so I, I've worked with parents in a lot of different capacities. And one of the things that was a little disheartening to me early on is that there would be general parenting classes and courses and different things available to parents, but they weren't always motivated to participate. It's like they're busy and they're kind of in the routine of, of parenting. But what I've discovered is that when this adjustment and transition of divorce happens, that there's an openness that is really fresh and promising and people are evaluating and looking at the things that are important to them and, and they're really ready to think about, can I do this better? And people can approach it in a really child-centered and sensitive way. And so it actually becomes an activating event because a lot of resources and ways of approaching parenting, people become open to really evaluating and implementing and, and using. And so not to minimize the pain that's involved, but it can also be a really hopeful time where some really profoundly positive things can happen with families. You know, I usually think of the term activating as meaning like triggering, you know, like there's, it's a, ne- mm-hmm. there's a negative connotation. But I think what you're talking mm-hmm. about is that it's an opportunity to take a new look mm-hmm. at your parenting and everything else in your life mm-hmm. as well and mm-hmm. look at how well you're doing it because it's tough to come apart as parents, you know, to restructure mm-hmm. your parenting time, your parenting relationship mm-hmm. and the way you are managing the tasks and the responsibilities Mm -hmm. that go into parenting Mm -hmm. and what to tell your kids. Mm -hmm. And so what I think you're Mm -hmm. saying, Julie, is that this is an opportunity to take a new look at how you're working separately and together and to do something Mm -hmm. that might be more effective and more positive going forward. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think when things don't work, there is that kind of sometimes that just humility that people adopt in their posture where they're open and they say, okay, I really want this next kind of leg of my journey to, to go well for me and go well for my kids. And I'm open. And I think that openness holds a lot of promise and a lot of beauty. You know, what I think is really hard, and I, I'm curious about your thoughts about this, is that divorce is obviously a painful time for everybody. It's a painful mm-hmm. time for parents. Mm-hmm. And even if, if someone chose the divorce, it's still hard. Uh, no one goes yes. down the aisle and says, I do, with the idea that they're going to get divorced a number of years later. And it's hard for the mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And there can be a lot of anger. There can be denial. There can be distraction mm-hmm. and disorientation, depression. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so it seems like, as I'm hearing you talk, that there's really an opportunity to acknowledge and have compassion for the for the discomfort of your children and yourselves, but not necessarily try to take it away from them. Because if you try to mm-hmm. mandate it over, and I'm not saying ignore it, I'm, I'm saying the opposite of ignore mm-hmm. it. Right? This is what I'm hearing you say, mm-hmm. that if you can mm-hmm. acknowledge their feelings and tell them, you know, they still have to make these changes, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. life is, mm-hmm. is different and, and, and not just get mad about it at the other parent mm-hmm. or at the kids or whatever, that's, 
that's really the way through. It sounds like that's really hard, though, and getting some help would be really a good idea. It is. It is. It's really hard. John Gottman, he has a book called Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child, and in his research, he's found that this kind of emotion coaching approach to parenting, which definitely falls within the positive parenting model, is that in his studies, he's found that it's a protective factor for children going through divorce. And one of the kind of key markers of an emotion coach is that they don't look at negative feelings as something to fix. Negative feelings are an opportunity for closeness. And that's a really kind of profound change. And I think to an anxious parent who's going through a lot of unknowns due to divorce, when kids are seeming upset or distressed or missing the other parent or, you know, you're noticing some behavioral changes and adjustment difficulties, the, the parent, the impulse is, I want to fix it. I want to fix it as quickly as I can. It's really hard to tolerate that. But really what we know from an attunement, emotion coaching standpoint, that we don't have to fix it, that these are healthy, normal reactions to a stress. But what we can do that's profoundly helpful is to observe it, to express empathy, to give kids a word for how they're feeling, and and then to help them move into a, I'm wondering what you need right now. What might help? But it's this, I think, pretty distinct shift from I need to fix the things that aren't okay for you. Instead of fixing, I don't have to fix you. This is this is an appropriate and healthy response to what's going on for you. But I'm going to be with you in it. I'm going to empathize. I'm going to give you language for talking about it. I'm going to see it. And, and then I'm going to support you and help you figure out what you need. And that's a skill. If you can, and, and that's the thing is that some of these, you know, if you don't have the, the stress of divorce, you're going to have stress of other things later in your life. So it may bring on stress early in, earlier in a child's life than maybe they would have known in terms of a pretty significant adjustment. But they begin learning and practicing how to be in their own skin when they're sad, when they're scared, when they're angry, when they're worried. And as a parent, as a, a positive parent who is emotionally in tuned, you're going to come alongside them and actually help them do that in a way that where they're developing emotional intelligence and the ability to manage difficult feelings. And it's something that then allows them to feel close to you, which is also really important for them. You know, those are not the most fun moments as parents, but they might be the most important. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is Divorce Dialogues, and I'm Catherine Miller, and we're here on WVX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, but perhaps you're also listening on the podcast, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts, and I'm talking today with Julie Verner about positive parenting, and Julie, if there's any if people are interested in finding more about you or about positive parenting, how can they do that? So one of the resources that I have is a Instagram. It's at Divorce Doodles. And so three times a week, we have advice for divorcing families in terms of co-parenting, adjusting to divorce, and just moving on. And so that's a really fun way to just, like you mentioned, it's th- these are hard things to do. You're in, in a difficult situation and you're trying to practice and, and, and build new ways of approaching your parenting. And so 
we came up with this account just as a way to have a kind of light, easy, you can scroll through it. And here's a thought on how to kind of manage your post-divorce life in a way that's child-centered and healthy for everybody. So at Divorce Doodles is a place they can find me. I also have a website, thecaringparent.com, and that tells a little bit more about my clinical work. There's also links to the book I've written. It's about Penny, who is going through divorce, so it's a children's book. But those are probably the two best places to find me. Okay, that's super information for people who are interested in positive parenting. So what are some things that a parent can do? You know, let me just back up a second, because my experience is that when people are getting divorced, both parents want what's best for their kids, right? Who who doesn't want that? Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. problem that they have is that they can't agree on what's best, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe they couldn't, mm-hmm. maybe they had mm-hmm. problems and conflict agreeing when they were married it's in an intact family, but they mm-hmm. really are having trouble with this. They have trouble agreeing on when to tell the kids, how to tell the kids. What about introducing significant others? What about discipline mm-hmm. that one person imposes, one parent imposes? What and should that be also carried forward to the other person's house? I mean, there are a lot of things. And, and it seems like in the positive parenting, not both parents would really have to do it. And so I'm wondering if there are people listening thinking, well, that sounds really interesting to me, but I could never get my ex to go along with that. Is that necessary? No, no. I mean, one positive parent is really, really, it can be enough. It can be enough because the skills that are learned through the process of teaching and empathizing and working with a child they can come from, it, obviously, it's wonderful if you have two parents who are both really approaching their parenting in a kind of effective, responsible, caring way. But it, it can be enough to just have one parent who really dedicates themselves to parenting in, a, in an effective way like this. And what are some skills or some things that can help that parent be a positive parent going through divorce? Sure. And that's the thing that's really hard is that, you know, kids are in a place where they're going through their own crisis. They kind of need parenting plus. And the reality is that, you know, most parents are kind of in a parenting minus state just because they're stressed and they have a lot going on. And so it is this idea of kind of bringing more to the table when you're doing well to bring even what you used to bring to the table to the table is, is a lot. But I do think that one of the things that helps a parent is doing their own work because This listening and attunement piece is critical to positive parenting. And when your own feelings are really big, sometimes it's hard to see your kids. You know, it's hard to, for instance, if you have a child who has a difficult experience at the other parent's home, it's very, very hard to not look at that incident through the kind of history of your feelings about the other parent and, and your history with the other parent and to really differentiate or to not allow your anger or your resentment to color the way that you hear what your child's saying or respond to it. So I do think that doing your own work so that you're processing your own grief, you know the things that trigger you, you have a place where you feel heard and understood and and, and you're really able to do your own recovery is so critical because what that does is it frees you up to begin to practice active listening and attunement really from a curious place. You're not making assumptions. You're not assuming that your child is having the same experience that you have had with 
the other parent, but that, that they're having their own unique experience. And so I, I think doing your own work is really critical. And then I think there are just the mechanics of learning how to listen that people are generally pretty terrible at. And I think as parents, we are so in the role of fixer and teacher that we're not very good at listening. And so I do think that if a parent wants to be effective in the arena of positive parenting, they really do need to do some work to, to really understand what that looks like. So I think, you know, John Gottman's book, Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child, or, you know, doing, there's a lot of online classes you can do, but you need to learn how to reflectively listen without projecting your own thoughts and ideas and corrections onto the the things that your children are saying. And I think the more work that parents do around that, the, the better they will be with this idea of positive parenting. All right, that's great. In our last minute, what might tempt a divorcing parent to be either too permissive or overly strict with his or her kids? I think a lot of things, I think fatigue, when parents are tired and they have a lot going on, it's easy to be overly permissive. We have a lot of research literature that shows depression and and non-responsive parenting go together. Fear, I don't want to set too strict of limits because maybe you'll want to be with the other parent more. Guilt, um, because I'm putting you through this, I shouldn't be asking more from you, like setting limits. I think there can be an urge to overprotect. If you don't trust the other parent, then you need to overprotect them, and that can kind of tempt you in the direction of permissive parenting. I think that you mentioned, too, that a lot of times we react to the other parent's manner of parenting. So if we believe that the other parent is too permissive, we might adopt an overly strict or autocratic approach to kind of make up for what we would perceive as a deficiency at the other parent's house, or even just well, a desire a- for control. Yeah. Well, that. Super information. Dr. Julie Werner, thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogues. You bet. Thank you for having me.